Back empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Back to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points, and gift cards. Go to backedbakt.com to sign up for the early access program today and start treating your digital assets just like cash. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. This is really a treat. You're so sweet. I think that this has been long overdue. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning into The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And we have on the other side of the mic, Christine Sandler, Head of Sales and Marketing at Fidelity Digital Assets. It's been too long since we've we've seen each other in person, but it's nice that Zencaster, a little plug for our podcast uh, tool that we use, has video in addition to audio now. So it's great to see you. Great to have you on the show. It's been, as you were alluding to before we started recording, a really wild time for the market since the past few months. And I know you guys are kind of heads down at work, I guess, to kick things off. How's business? Business is good, Frank. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, it is absolutely wonderful to see you, and it's great to be part of this uh, podcast. But now, business has been strong. So I think, um, from our perspective, the we're delighted to see kind of the market moving towards us, and to see the general adoption of digital assets across kind of all institutional segments, of which many of them are are traditional institutions. That's kind of our sweet spot, and it's been. It's been really great to work with lots of different types of organizations as they approach the space. Some have very different mandates. Some have varying degrees of knowledge as to the, the sophistication, uh, their sophistication or approach to the space. And some have questions of, about, look, we've made our decision, you know, now how do we do it? And, um, and that's really been, it's been a good experience, a good and diverse experience. When we think about the business, it runs the gamut of custody, execution services. And so the types of clients you're working with also vary from hedge funds to macro funds to you know folks who are trying to offer their own products, so asset management firms. Correct. What does the business look like today relative to when you started? It's pretty different. I, I would say... When I started at Fidelity Digital Assets, I think there was a very strong digitally native asset management firms that were really beginning to grow and attract assets. And I apologize, Frank, for the ambient New York noise, if you can hear the fire engines in the back. Yes, this is uh, welcome to New York. You know, I think and we had a value proposition clearly for them, but I think we have a, an even stronger value proposition for some of the newer firms that are coming into the space. So I, I would say the space has changed 2020 was clearly a breakout year for digital assets in general. And I think part of it was that very strong global macro narrative that began to take shape in early 2020 and continued for the rest of the year and really was solidified by 
a number of really high profile investors kind of being vocal about the space and their inclusion of Bitcoin in their portfolios. Also a strengthening of kind of the ecosystem that was supporting that. So the strength of other digital asset custodians, the strength of exchanges in general, and the interplay among the custodians and the exchanges. I think that's beginning to solidify as well. And then I would say finally, what really was the what really created kind of the final tipping point was the really constructive language that came out of the various regulatory bodies. So whether it was the CFTC or the SEC and their enforcement actions, they really had um, some very strong statements about the future for digital assets. And then finally, the OCC making some definitive statements about the participation of banks in the ecosystem really kind of drove home those already strong fundamentals. And so we started to see some very decisive activity from more traditional institutions um, in the second half of 2020, and which led to just an absolute blockbuster fourth quarter. We were very much heads down. It was almost, it was almost too intense at a couple of times. We had, and then a period of, you know, really dramatic price acceleration, which led to that FOMO, you've got to get me on platform, you've got to get me on platform. And we were really trying to balance uh, the needs of our clients as well as the heavy demand. It was pretty intense. And that's continued into 2021. I think it's um, slightly more sane, but still very, very vibrant. And I think there are a couple of things that are contributing to that uh, narrative as well in 2021. How is that translated into volumes or sort of assets under custody? What does the business look like from a metric perspective? How much can you can you maybe yes. reveal? So we don't. So as you know, Frank, we're pretty demure about kind of revealing like actual uh, like our statistics. But I think there are a couple of things that we can be really proud of. You know, we saw a 4x in terms of assets under custody. Our overall account account growth was absolutely phenomenal. And what I think, I think that's, it's really encouraging to see that we saw participation across all segments. So whether it was corporations adopting and putting assets on their balance sheet or hedge funds beginning to approach this from a strategic perspective, registered investment advisors, family offices, ultra high net worth individuals, and then you, you alluded to the fact that we also serve folks that are building businesses, whether they're asset managers or also banks in the space as well. We started to see some, some real activity out of counterparties that would be considered potential competitors and our, our, our sub custody business continues to grow, which is a, which is a really nice kind of forward looking, forward looking view to the ecosystem. I want to double click on the sub custody aspect in a, in a second, but you raise a really interesting point, which is there are all these different customer segments you guys can be serving and addressing. Subcustody is one of them. Hedge funds are another. Companies adding Bitcoin to their balance sheet, another type of customer segment. And each one has their own sort of vibrancy and, and you know um, level of excitement around them. When we think about companies adding to their balance sheet, there were tons of rumors around Oracle making a move over the past few days. So everyone's really excited about each of these different, you know, areas of adoption. But from like the business perspective, how are you able to focus and, and execute if you kind of have all these different hands and, and different pots, you know, 
is there an opportunity for you guys to like focus on one and that be your bread and butter? Or do you need to be operating across these different segments? That's a really great, great question, Frank. And to be honest with you, that's some of the, those are some of the discussions that we have internally, given the fact that, look, we're, we're a small unit in a very large organization. The good news is many of our competitors actually focus on client acquisition. We have these clients already in-house. So we many of these clients already have some sort of relationship with Fidelity in a broader sense. So we're not necessarily an unknown entity or kind of a fresh. We have uh, fewer obstacles in terms of kind of gaining credibility with these organizations, whether they're corporations or hedge funds. And I think that that maybe gives us an advantage in terms of engagement. And so we may be the first or second call with respect to digital assets. And then we also have folks that have managed those relationships over many years, and we can lean on them in a really strong sense. So we have the we have the benefit of being part of a much broader organization from a resource perspective, and that gives us the ability to effectively handle a diverse set of clients in a really effective way. To be honest with you, Frank, if the focus is the focus, the focus is across a diverse set of clients but a very, a very focused product offering. We are still Bitcoin and Bitcoin only, and we are still institutionally focused. So although we do get questions consistently about, uh, about offering to retail, we do not offer to retail. So that's our focus, institutional and Bitcoin only. And that, that gives us enough, uh, enough latitude and enough work to do. So. Well, it's interesting. Um, thinking about some of the conversations I've had with banks who are looking at, Subcustody, to your point, everyone kind of has their own, you know, selling point or pitch. I think Fidelity, and and I'm I'm quoting someone, these aren't my words, Fidelity has the reputation, whereas maybe Anchorage is super cool. These are this person's words. Bitco has a longer track record. Coinbase has the scale. So Reputation can go a long way on Wall Street. When you're engaging with these clients, what are some of the concerns they maybe have about the product offering and what resonates with them? Look, I think when you're talking about, I think you were talking specifically about banks, correct? About banks, yeah. So we're talking about firms that are looking to sub-custody through another more crypto native provider. And maybe we can talk about why they're even in need of such a service to begin with. Um, you mentioned the OCC news. I thought that gave the green light. So we'll kind of reshape the question here. Why are banks even in need of this in the first place? And then maybe we can talk about where Fidelity fits in relative to some of the competition. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to I'm happy to kind of take a stab at that. So in terms of the bank, the level of engagement from banks, I think banks clearly have been knowledgeable about Bitcoin and blockchain for the past several several years. They've had dedicated employees kind of studying this space. But they've really had a hand, they have for the most part had a hands-off, a hands-off attitude or almost a taboo attitude towards crypto um, for the past several years. And, you know, I think the statements from the OCC kind of gave them some comfort and protection that they could begin to explore either businesses or offering digital assets to their clients, whether it was you know, crypto, or whether it was thinking about something that was even maybe more a little more forward looking about building kind of an infrastructure to support real world assets. So the bank use case is pretty diverse. So when the bank, when a bank comes to us, 
it's one of a handful of engagements. And a handful of engagements are, look, we're interested in talking to you about custody or using your custody uh, infrastructure to empower us to offer this to a subset of our clients or a subset of our um a, a brand new opportunity. So what we do is we use the pillars of our business to kind of empower those conversations. And those conversations are fairly, they're, they're fairly diverse. One of the advantages that Fidelity has in terms of approaching banks or having these conversations is that risk management is a key, is a key principle to many financial institutions. We meet those banks and those counterparties across the table from a risk management standpoint. So we're approaching risk in a similar way. And I think that that in itself really does resonate with these organizations. And I think that that, that is, is, is one single differentiator that Fidelity has vis-a-vis some of the, some of the startups. And that's not to mention, you know, look, I, I came from Coinbase. It's a fine organization. I think that some of the infrastructure and some of the control processes that we've put around our business um, that very focused business. The comparison may be we may have a much more focused product offering. Coinbase might have a larger product offering or a deeper product offering. Our bread and butter is going to be around the control structure of that that overall ecosystem, and that really does resonate with financial institutions. What, what do you think was the catalyst outside of the OCC decision? Because I feel like it kind of just happened randomly and and a lot of this is public like with Goldman announcing their crypto trading desk it seemed like a lot of that had had to do with price and now they're looking at subcustody and crypto the narrative maybe 3 6 months ago was we're looking at subcustody in as much as we're looking at digital assets or mm. you know blockchain supported assets versus cryptocurrency itself which now seems to be taken more seriously so I think there are a couple of, look, I think there are a couple of narratives. I think they're hearing from their clients. Look, th- this is happening. You know, this is obviously happening. You've seen the growth in the asset price. They'd like to get involved. So there is, I think there is a, de- there is definitely demand across their own clients. And I think that they are reacting to that demand, whether that is via a retail segment or whether that's, you know, on the hedge fund side. And when you think about how a traditional hedge fund would approach the space, Clearly, a traditional hedge fund would want to see risk assets aggregated together. So they'd want to see their equities. They'd want to have the benefits of seeing all of their positions together, the ability to cross margin, although there's no margin in in Bitcoin or crypto. I think that that's really the perspective. They're starting to see more of their core customers adopt either adopt strategies or maybe think about launching an asset management business in the space. And perhaps that there, this creates this opportunity that it's not a fledgling business anymore, that, that it's potentially really much more viable and that the product offerings that they could help to support are really diverse. And they, they tend to look like other products in the space. So if we look at look the recent ETF craze, it seems like everyone and their brother may be filing for an ETF. And we have thousands of them in Canada already. Clearly, there, are need, there yeah. needs to be financial intermediary support Millions for Trillions, trillions of trillions them, dollars. but they're in Canadian dollars. Teasing, teasing. Um, yeah, so that's like 50 bucks. <laughs> the, but clearly there has to be financial intermediary support for all of these products. And that's an opportunity for banks to really get involved. So whatever the catalyst was, maybe it's client demand based on price action, more traditional players entering the space, demanding access um, via 
financial institution, financial intermediaries, uh, or the growth in, in asset management products and the diversity of asset management products. You know, people wake up when you start to see $40 billion of assets in a single product. So it starts to look a little bit more real. And now things are starting to seem a little frothy and wild. I mean, a lot of the players that are operating in your vertical, everybody has their hands on something that you guys either do or, or want to do are, you know, clocking in either insane volumes or obtaining insane valuations back, which kind of did some custody trading at what $5 billion Coinbase is going to be, you know, potentially direct listing at a hundred billion dollars. We reported this morning, Falcon X just raised at a $675 million valuation. You have a long history on the street and I want to get into that as well. But when you see that, like, when do you think the music maybe starts to end and, and, and how do you capitalize on that? Look, I think ultimately evaluation has to be sustained by kind of the underlying fundamentals. And I, it is, you, you have to ask yourself, is this based in reality? Um, does this represent the, uh, the ultimate potential for getting in as the ecosystem is building on the ground floor? So there's a lot of folks that, that view these infrastructure related companies, these organizations, say like a Falcon X. I mean, Falcon X is beginning to stitch together some of the ecosystem that's really necessary for hedge funds and other asset managers to implement strategies across the ecosystem. Definitely a necessary kind of fundamental tool. Does it warrant that valuation? I don't know. I haven't seen their numbers. But I, I think in, in a sense, we do need a growth in fundamental infrastructure. And, that, and, and I think the market is rewarding that. Look, you're also you have a very frothy equity market. You have a very frothy SPAC market. You have a lot of dollars slushing around. So add that to an already positive narrative. You may see valuations kind of on the ludicrous side. Who knows? We may look back in five years and, and say Coinbase valuation of $100 billion was cheap. That'll be good news for folks who might have some Coinbase equity. But yeah. Frank, it would be good news for all of us that are building out an ecosystem. So at the end of the day, a rising tide lifts all boats. So whether you're at Fidelity Digital Assets or you're at the CME, look, the CME has one of the most dominant on-ramps for institutions, and that's uh, Bitcoin futures. Now, they just launched ETH futures. CME could potentially create a lot of product that would enable a whole new class of investors to participate in this ecosystem. Um, and that's a named player that's done this before. I'm interested to see what's, what comes out of that part of the ecosystem as well. Typically, the derivative side of the business is multiples of what the spot market looks like. And if that holds true, then we have a tremendous amount of potential for derivatives in general in this space. How do you see that side of the world, the exchange world, engaging with this market, with this backdrop we're sort of describing? So look, I think the exchange space is really emerging. You have dominant exchanges, and I think you're starting to see liquidity coalesce around a handful of exchanges that are doing a very good job in terms of matching order flow. Does that change as products like uh, Talos Trading and, and Falcon X begin to um, stitch together that ecosystem and enable clients to kind of direct order flow across an ecosystem? 
and eliminate some of the things like pre-funding on multiple exchanges. I do think you'll see an evolution in how clients trade and interact with the ecosystem and don't discount the role of custodians in terms of that settlement infrastructure as well. So everyone's been talking about it. No one's built it yet, but I do think it's coming. So to an extent, we might see some of the desk eat the lunch of exchanges. You could see it go either way. You could see it go in a more displayed fashion or a more opaque fashion. I'm not sure. But clearly liquidity begets liquidity. And that's some of the things that you're seeing. So also the growth of lending as well. Has lending grown because of the frictions that are associated with trading crypto? Or has it grown because of the enthusiasm associated with crypto? Probably a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And then there's a question of whether or not there's enough institutional credit in this market, even though we see, you know, 100x leverage on some of these offshore venues, it's hard to get a good price on on a sizable loan as an institution. And obviously, there's the whole absence of cross margin finance and the like. Yeah, I do think, look, I, I actually think the complexion for lenders in the space will begin to change and evolve as, look, we, ha- we do know that banks are becoming interested in the space to the extent that they're willing to loan or create collateralized products. Um, that's one of the things that we've worked on in conjunction with a couple of other partners, namely BlockFi, um, where we hold the collateral for bilateral transactions that BlockFi enters into with a with a borrower. That's absolutely something mm-hmm. that we would consider doing with other counterparties as well. Our objective is that we think that the lending space could continue to grow in a meaningful way and will continue to grow. I think we also look, I think these valuations are great also. Um, I think we're a little cash starved. We'd love to see larger institutions kind of get into the fray and, uh, and begin to borrow and lend in this space too. Backed is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send, or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up for the early access program at backedbakkt.com. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards to their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. One thing that I've gleaned from conversations with folks active in the lending market in crypto is that there's not enough talent to assess the risk. And this is something that, I mean, the talent problem is something that probably spans every aspect of crypto, right? You mentioned BlockFi, they're scaling to a thousand people by the end of the year from 500. I'm sure Coinbase will grow as well. Most companies see most of their headcount growth post an IPO. How do you find the people to do some of this stuff? I mean, in lending to start, but then just in general, you know? Um, That's a really good question. Um, The, yeah, we've seen some pretty impressive hiring numbers coming out of BlockFi and other um, other entities. I think what 
look, BlockFi was built around risk management. So uh, when I think about, you know, their approach to the space, I think it's actually pretty sound. Um, and they're growing in, in terms of scaling that operation. But you're right, the types of skills that you needed for crypto 2017 are very different than the types of skills that you might need to be successful in crypto 2021. And I also think that it's a mix of both old and new tech finance. So you definitely need some finance chops, so really understanding of the of mechanics and risk. But you also need to have a passion for the underlying technology. You can't short that. So we've seen a pretty strong an eager movement out of Wall Street into crypto that you can't short the crypto piece as well. So while we do need a little bit more strength on the risk management and traditional finance side, you can't ignore the crypto piece as well. So I think you need just you need both. Mm -hmm. And that's been tough to find because it's um, it's unique. Crypto's uh, crypto and institutional crypto has only is only a few years old, really. It's also less about finding the identical role that you had on Wall Street and kind of transferring over to crypto and saying, look, I can bring a my relationships. You might have to take you might take a different role or a different perspective in order to kind of get that base level knowledge in digital assets because it is fundamentally different. And there are additional, you know, there are additional frictions and considerations that you might have a difficult time articulating. Clearly, I'm having a difficult time articulating it right now, but there is so there's a core skill set. But truthfully, we're also looking for people with raw skills, like raw talent. We're happy to help get them up the curve in terms of either traditional finance or crypto so that they can they can help us build this ecosystem. And obviously, you don't want just folks who can do the job. Um, you want people who are representative of a large swath of the population, and then, of course, women. That's something that's really important to you and should be important to everybody in the space. It's definitely important to us at, at The Block, building out a diverse team. When we think about women in crypto, how have you and some of your colleagues worked at making this space more approachable to women and other groups? That's, I'm so glad you asked that question, Frank. So it is International Women's Month, and I know that's not lost on you. I think it's to be honest with you, I'm, I'm surprised that I don't see more women in crypto, um, whether it's women in crypto investing. But I will say that the women that are here are rock stars. I mean, they're absolutely yeah. lights out. And I think you would agree that, um, you know, I mean, even just some of the firms we've mentioned, right? Um, we, we, we've talked about Falcon X. There's Aya there, BlockFi, Flory, mm -hmm. you at Fidelity. List goes on. Yeah, and I look. What I will say to to women is, and it's a message of uh, at the core. You know, crypto is about financial empowerment and being, you know, that self sovereign. If you want opportunities and you want to have freedom and choice, you need financial stability and financial the financial wherewithal. Crypto potentially could be an enabler and uh, and a way to spend and save and and invest. I encourage women, if you even if you haven't been exposed to crypto at all, you know, it's basically open source. I mean, you can literally learn everything you possibly could. You could go down multiple rabbit holes, learn anything possible about crypto with just a browser and a Twitter feed and maybe a connection to one or two kind of mentors. And if you don't have a mentor in crypto, go find one. I mean, look, their names are Rhea and B and Meltem. 
you know, they are, and they're across every discipline. So quite honestly, they're out there and they're willing to teach you. Um, but take a little bit of responsibility and try to learn about crypto and invest in crypto. It's so approachable. It's so meaningful. And it's absolutely delivering a message of empowerment. And maybe that leads you to another potential career in crypto. I have found it the most fascinating and exciting time of my life. Uh, I'm really, I literally am surrounded by the most brilliant people I know. And they're not just brilliant people, but they're brilliant and generous people. So they're, you know, they're always willing to help you solve problems. I've learned everything I possibly could imagine knowing about mining from Amanda Fabiano. I mean, like these are, these are just rock stars, rock stars, um, and they're willing to help. And so I encourage you to kind of tap into that network and tap into that ecosystem. When we think about the team, definitely a lot of big names. I mean, just a lot of energy at Fidelity in the crypto unit. So I definitely appreciate the sort of passion there and, and, and it resonates. When we look over the course of the next few months, what are, what are some of the problems and challenges you guys will all be looking to tackle? What, what, are, what are some of the impediments to get from where you are now to that next level? That's a great question, Frank. We, we can't build fast enough. So quite, we've got a number of open developer positions. Um, we need to hire more developers, just like everyone else. So there's definitely a war for talent. You guys at now like 120, about 100 folks? Just about 200 people in oh, the 200. unit. Yep. And so, look, I think the, the good news is that we are a, a company that has a rich set of resources. The bad news is we, we need more of those resources. So just like everyone, we're looking to hire um, similar talent. I'm actually hiring on the sales side. We have a number of uh, open roles that we're looking to, to source. So I would say that that war for talent is really very front and center for us. It's also about the right fit for that for our environment. And then I think when we think about solving problems, we are very focused on the client experience. When we approached the space, so the, our genesis was we were an institution. We did not see the types of tools and, and infrastructure that we needed to support a business. So we went out and built them, um, similar to some others in the space. So we're very much, very much focused on closing the gaps that exist for, for the empowerment of other institutions as well. So it really is about developing, developing product that serves those, the needs of the institution. So whether, look, I mean, we're not 24 seven, we need to expand our, our, our product offering to include 24 seven. Most traditional institutions are not uh, active in the ecosystem on a 24 seven basis, but that kind of is table stakes for being a, uh, a viable provider in this space. So that those are some of the gaps that we're working on focusing on closing over the remaining months. How do you see the unit engaging more so with the broader firm? We've talked about over the course of this conversation and just historically all the things that Fidelity offers, Fidelity Digital Assets, the reputation and the client access to an extent. But how does it flip the other way around? We've seen folks like Jerry and Timmer come out and talk about the role of Bitcoin in a portfolio. I'm sure there are other ways that the unit can engage with the broader firm. I know it's a closely held operation, but maybe you can give some hints to the audience about what what that sort of entanglement could look like. Yeah, so so Fidelity is by, you know, is our biggest 
the broader organization is the biggest relationship that we have. And it's also our view into how um, certain segments kind of view the, the investment landscape. So whether it's the RIA segment or the hedge fund segment, we really lean heavily on our counterparties in Fidelity Institutional, on our prime team, and we really partner with them for kind of solutions-based. So when we think about the evolution of the ecosystem, we think about how products develop, do the products develop where potentially Fidelity Digital Assets is a service provider to a unit inside of our own organization where they control the client experience? That's probably something directionally where we could go. And so I would expect that Fidelity Digital Assets gets even closer to the broader organization in terms of unified product. And clearly, you're starting to see that directionally with, you know, Urian and Rhea partnering up on on uh, on some research. That's pretty incredible. So you have a very traditional global macro view and one that's deeply crypto, but we're meeting in the middle, serving an institutional need. So as the dialogue continues to to accelerate throughout the firm, it is really across all segments. So when we have engagements with, say, a corporation, we're leaning heavily on, on the organization that's selling money markets or um, 401k services to corporations to get their perspective on engagement, on acceleration, and on you know how best to approach that segment. So we're very fortunate in that respect. So it's kind of like, Today, most of the product thinking is centered around Fidelity Digital Assets coming out of Fidelity Digital Assets, but there will likely be some sort of evolution where you're going to have bigger ticket clients coming to either the prime desk or the hedge fund business and, and asking for certain services, and they will then maybe work in tandem to a degree on on producing the things that their clients are asking for. And I think it's obvious that we're going to see more and more of that, right? I mean, we we had a Goldman Sachs report come out that suggested, I think they spoke to 300 some odd clients. They're now sharing data and and sort of updates with them. And they also run a similar gamut of hedge funds and corporate treasurers. And the evidence suggests, at least from this survey, that the vast majority see their digital asset exposure increasing over the next year. I think 60% reported that that would be the case. So it, it only makes sense that this type of evolution will play out. I would agree with you. And, and this is one of the reasons we chose to resource the research function. We felt there was really a need for kind of institutionally focused research that really spoke to institutions that were approaching the space and also institutions that were in the space. And so we we absolutely committed to that. Um, and every year, I think you know this, that we we run an institutional digital asset survey. And we've run the survey again. Um, so last year, we terminated the survey in the beginning of March. Had we extended it even a couple of weeks, I think we would have even seen more robust numbers. But the numbers were very positive out of last year's survey. We've run the survey again. Um, expect the results to be out, say, May and I'd love to come back and talk to you about that, but we would expect to see some pretty dramatic numbers given the fact that we've seen such a significant change in 2020. Um, but that's something that we're committed yeah. to as well. We're not just committed to this moment in time. We're committed to the acceleration of the ecosystem and listening to the needs of our clients, just like Goldman is. Goldman, like For Goldman to publish that, they clearly were like, well, this may be a wake-up call that this is directionally where we need to be going. Well, that gives a perfect bridge for when you'll be on the show next. I guess 
sometime in May. We'll clear the calendar, get our diaries to be free, and we'll talk to you again soon. That sounds great, Frank. Christine Sandler, Fidelity Digital Assets. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks, Frank. Take care.